Looking for an assist with your credit card, but you can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I'm Josh Giddy and I'm down to dunk. Hey, this is Kenny Hustle and I'm down to dunk. I'm Darius Baisley and I'm down to dunk. I'm Mike Muscala and I'm down to dunk. This is Poku and I'm down to dunk. I love cereal. Captain Crunch. Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Cracklin' Oat Brand. Oh, I can have these. I'm going to share with my team, but I'm a hog most Welcome to Down to Dunk. I'm your host, Andrew Schlecht. We're part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Kelly Barra should be joining me soon. We were just talking, and I think his power may have gone out. He's in the middle of a storm, a Oklahoma City-like storm in Italy, and their uh, infrastructure is not used to big thunderstorms like that, so hopefully he'll be popping in here shortly. I uh, hope you guys are doing great. It's July 25th. There is not a lot going on in the NBA, so I thought we'd try something new. We are going to do Voicemail Mondays here on Down to Dunk. You can call our voicemail line. Let me pull up the number. So if you're just sitting there and you're not on Twitter and you're wanting to know what the number is, I'm going to pull it up here for you so that you can call, the vo- you can call this number. I actually had this accidentally tied to my phone and so I was actually getting these phone calls. Um, however, you can call us at 405-543-1970. That's 405-543-1970. And you can leave us a voicemail. So uh, somehow I've already been spammed on that number. I got some kind of spam call. How is that possible? I just set this up yesterday. This is insane. Okay. Uh, here's our first caller. This is a Summer League-related question. Hello. This is Barrett Lyle, a longtime listener, first-time caller to the uh, Down to Dunk podcast. And my question to Andrew and the rest of the gang was now it's time to uh, reflect and review, and yet not too far ahead so that it becomes a distant memory. In Summer League, how would you rank the impressiveness and performances of all guaranteed deal Thunder players and two-way contract Thunder players, specifically Lindy Waters? Because uh, one might... Uh, guess from the uh, casual eye test that Chet Holmgren was the most impressive player because of his first game outing, and yet I would dare say that Josh Giddy all across Summer League, even though he didn't play all of the games, was still the, the more impressive. 
Who knows? Even I think uh, J-Dub might have been a more impressive player than uh, Chet Holmgren. But I would like to get your take on who was the most impressive Thunder player uh, in Summer League and why you think so. And, uh, yeah, basically like to get an old-fashioned ranking. Thanks a lot. Hope you get to this question. See ya. So it's a good question. First off, the way that he greeted greeted me in this voicemail, I thought that he was about to, if you'll just listen one more time. Hello. That just, sound, just sounds like a bot to me. Uh, it was awesome. Thanks so much for the question. Um, it's a great question. I was looking up Summer League historical data for the Thunder, and it's interesting because Real GM is the only site that actually keeps track of it. And the top five in scoring average is really funny. Uh, number one, James Harden. That's good. Number two, Rashawn Thomas in five games averaged 14.4 points per game. By the way, James Harden, 14.5 points per game in four games is the most any Thunder player has ever averaged in Summer League. It's bizarre to me. Uh, Russell Westbrook, number three, 14.0. Dakari Johnson, number four, 13.7. Jordan Shackelford, our very own, that played in this year's Summer League, 13 and a half. That's the top five. Those are the names of the top five points per game in Summer League history for the Thunder. Uh, very, very bizarre. Um, so let's rank these. So let's go. I'm going to sort these stats for just this year. And we're going to take a look at the best players for the Thunder. Now, <laughs> eye test is one thing. And the numbers are another. I would still say Chet Holmgren is at the top just because of what he was able to do on the defensive end and then the flashes that he showed on offense. Here is raw numbers. 12 points per game. He averaged, let's see. Oh, my goodness. There's this giant Discover card ad over this. Um, 12 points per game, 7.7 rebounds, 2.3 assists, Two steals, two blocks, only three turnovers, and four fouls. Like, that's pretty interesting. Like, that's pretty good. He shot 42% from three, 87% from the line, 46% field goal percentage. That's pretty good. Uh, he was impressive. To me, the most impressive player. Uh, Josh Giddy was really good. Average 13 points, five boards, eight assists per game. Did have five turnovers per game. That's, that's a lot. And the shooting splits are so bad. 34% from the field. Check this. 0% from three. In Vegas, he didn't make a three. That kind of blew my mind a little bit. Uh, and then he's 80% from the line, which is actually like super encouraging. Like If you're looking for an encouraging shooting number from Josh Giddy, that's the one. Um, let me see what the totals were on that for Josh. Because that's it's encouraging that he shot 80% from the free throw line. Oh, maybe it's not as encouraging. He's only 8 of 10. Only 8 of 10. Um, but still, 8 of 10, fine. That was in two games. That's fine. That's fine. Five free throws a game is actually pretty good. So, um, yeah, I, I think Josh is number two for me. I just You could just tell when you watched him play. Like He's rebounding the ball really well. He was able to manipulate the defense with his dribble more, which I think is really important for him 
because he's not going to be able to manipulate the defense uh, through spacing because no one's going to care if he's shooting. He was 0-5 from three. He only took five threes in two games. I don't like that. But the 16 assists really stands out. You know, he's really able to find guys. Uh, so I think that he's number three. Um, Michele, here you are in the midst of a storm. Yeah, I mean, it's it's crazy. Nothing is working. I I tried a backup computer. I bought a new backup LT connection. Is <laughs> failing me. This is the world. Like, um, I'm sorry. No, uh, but this, this is actually fine. Stay, just stay here. Just stay here like this. Can you do that? Uh, I'm not sure how much the light will be on. Um, I can go dark. Uh, we'll see. It's uh, okay. Okay, we'll stick with us. So we're doing a summer league ranking of players. Uh, so far, I've got Chet Holmgren number one, Josh Giddy mm. number two. Although, do you do you have any clue what Josh Giddy's shooting splits are? Um, I think that he shot forty percent from the field, twenty five percent from three, thirty four percent from from the field, zero percent from three. 80 per- 80% from the line. Yeah, he was 34-0-80 over his shooting splits in Vegas. Oh, in Vegas. Yeah, just but in I Vegas. He made at least one. Yeah, so these are only... Let me see if I can pull up the... No. So this is from Real GM. They're only uh, counting Vegas Summer League from what I can see. So that's what we're going off of. Um. Number three, I don't really even think it's a debate. I think Jalen Williams is like the guy, the next guy. And Jay Will, not J- Yeah, Jay Will. <laughs> I love guys that t- try to take a charge on every possession. No, um, yeah. Jay Dub. He was, he was a, a revelation, and everybody really was shocked to see how well he played. And I think the most encouraging thing about him is. We talk a lot about roles and like what's the ideal role for a lot of players and usage and all these things. And like there's these big debates about Russell Westbrook right now, and it's all because of role and scalability with Russ. It's like Russ doesn't have at this point in his career is like any scalability at all. It's like you're either like full Russ or you get nothing. And with Jalen Williams, J Dub, he can be a primary ball handler if you if he absolutely had to be. But he can scale down to a role where he's cutting, moving the ball, playing defense, finishing plays, shooting threes. And like that's maybe the most impressive thing about him is that he can play a variety of roles. I honestly, and you mentioned this a lot on Thunder After Dark, like I didn't the thing I liked the least about him was when he was like particularly on the ball. I thought he was just a much better player whenever he was off ball. Um, oh, McKelly's frozen. We're having issues. Oh, there he is. He's back. Um, I was just saying that I like J-Dub more off ball than on ball, which honestly is a good thing for this team because they need players that can operate without the basketball in their hands because you think about, and we're going to talk about this here in a minute. We have another question. When you think about Shea and Giddy. And like you just need guys that can move without the basketball. Like it's just going to be really, really important uh, to the success of the team. So I think that he's number three. 
in the summer league ranking. Now, now it's kind of what did you, what did you like from these other players? Um, I don't know if you disagree, but I think Aaron Wiggins in three games showed a lot in Vegas and what he can do. What did you what did you think about Wiggins' game? Yeah, I think that you can put him in conversation for three or for three already. Uh, yeah. Like I liked J Dub better. Um, I, I think that as you mentioned, he's on ball possessions were not as I mean not as fancy as, as advertised maybe I mean a little bit less of explosion compared to the thing that I like no pop or a little pop but as you mentioned like off ball he was very steady mm-hmm. um, Wiggins was very very good he played somebody like he was reg- like it was regular season um, he was very precise from three I mean I don't have the splits in front of me but it looked good uh, especially from the corners. I think that he almost exclusively shot threes from the corners, which is exactly what you expect. Uh, And I think that one of the point of emphasis of Summer League, I think it was to find the corners. And Giddy was exceptionally great at that. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think that Wiggins um, was ready to play. I mean, the defensive side is always... uh, a thing that he is good at. Uh, but the fact that he was so confident uh, from three and the motion looked better. I think that you meant you mentioned that I don't remember if we were broadcasting or you were broadcasting with someone else about the fact the fact that the shot doesn't look as flat as last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is a I think an observation that is uh, quite on point. And uh, I mean it it looks smoother. And, and I think yeah, that Wiggins will tough out in the rotation like you you really have to go for his uh for his spot because i think that mark will if he plays like that i think that mark will play him yeah i think he needs to play i think he's i mean he was a, a good defender shot 42 percent from three obviously extremely low volume like he sh- i think he took seven threes so it's not like you can look at it and be like oh man he's a 42 percent three-point shooter now no like he had a really good three-game stretch um, but he played within himself. He even showed some ball handling stuff. You know, he had four assists in those three games. It's not like an impressive number, but to me, he profiles more of a guy that is just going to be a play finisher, but he's moving the ball. He, you know, I think he's a player. I think he's going to be a player in the NBA. Whether or not it's on the Thunder, it's going to be tough just because there's not, I don't know if there's the playing time available for everybody, uh, mm-hmm. but I like Aaron Wiggins. I think he's been good. And then probably JRE is the guy who's next. I thought he played really well. I thought physically he looked great in three games. Uh, he's oh yeah, go ahead. You're kinda, he's thicker. He's really he looks really strong. Like he looks yeah. he looks built. Like he he looked a little I don't know. He he didn't look as built, I guess would I would say at the beginning of last season. And now he looks like he's ready. He looks like he's ready to play. And he had that big, I think it was 15 or 14 game in Vegas, led the team. He was 66% from the field. Like he was just taking shots he knew he could make, which is a skill unto itself. You know, guys that have his skill level oftentimes will take shots they shouldn't take. And he he took only shots that he should take. So I think he's a guy that's going to play a lot. This year, I thought he played really well. You could even argue for JRE as high as three on this list. I think that if you were to like have 
tiers, I would say it's like Chet on his own, then Giddy, and then you can throw in Jalen Williams, JRE, and Aaron Wiggins are all kind of in the same tier where it's like, okay, all very useful players to me. Um, and then from there, it's, I don't know that anybody else played super well or even shot the ball super well from here. Um, but like we saw flashes from other players that like matter. Yeah. Like Lindy, I thought looked physically pretty good and ready to play. He didn't shoot the ball particularly well in Vegas and didn't get a lot of opportunities. Um, same for Trey Mann. Trey Mann shot 26% from the field. He was 10 of 38 on field goal attempts and really only had one good game before he got injured. Um, Usman Jang, he's 45% from the field, only one of seven from three, only took five free throws in two games, um, but rebounded the ball well, 13 boards in two games. Like, that's pretty good. And then looked pretty good defensively, like just some flashes. Vit Krejci, uh, shot the ball pretty well. He's 46% um, from the field. Like, he's fine. Can we talk a little bit more about Jang? Because I mm-hmm. I can't. I mean, in in Utah, uh, he was particularly bad from three. Um, as Alec mentioned, uh, he was just jacking trees, uh, not moving around, um, not creating with the ball. In Vegas, we saw the version of Jang that probably... Um, most of the scouts had in their hand in, in their heads, mm-hmm. like the fact is a six eleven, seven feet tall kind of guy who can handle the ball fluidly and create in uh, in transition. I mean, I was kind of impressed by that yeah. and the fact that in Vegas he shot the ball better mm-hmm. uh, from two point range. That is not something that I was. I mean, it's two games, so who cares? Yeah. Um, but he had a few finishes where I said, "Huh." Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. I mean, I, I would love for him to dunk the ball a little bit more because I think he can uh, instead of get going for finesse and, and whatnot. Um, the shot look, looks okay. I mean, not one out of eight okay. Mm-hmm. Um, it looks better than that. Yeah. Now, we know uh, very well that what it looks, it's not what it is, so we need to wait. Um, but, I mean... To me, it, it looks way better than Giddy's. So, yeah. um, like, I would trust that shot a little bit more than Giddy's. So, yeah. I'm I'm really looking forward to see how much he plays, to be honest with you. Like, mm-hmm. uh, what is his role next season? Is he G League, mostly? Is he a guy who plays 20 minutes instead of Paisley and Pokushevsky? Which, mm, hey, uh, it's okay. Like, he's, uh, he's the 11th pick in the draft. It's mm-hmm. He's not, like... 18th picking the draft. Right. So, um, I think he plays. Re- I think he plays next year. I don't know that he's playing all season. I think he will see some stints in the G League. Like you look at, like Trey had stints in the G League last year. But I think he plays. I think you have to play him. I think you have to figure out what you have with all these guys. I think, honestly, I think everybody's going to play and have stretches here and there. And we will find out like who's. You know, who who are the guys that they want to keep around? I do think that Darius Baisley's sl- you know, spot on this team is in jeopardy just because they have – I think that they – and you can clearly see it by the way they've drafted over the last three years. They want guys that can make decisions with the basketball, and that's mm-hmm. not Baisley. Baisley can pass. Baisley can handle. He can do all those things, but he's missing the component of decision-making 
to tie everything together. And he oftentimes just doesn't make the right choices when he's on the court. And so um, maybe that changes for him. Maybe maybe that develops over the summer. I'm not going to like count him completely out. But when I look at Jang, like he's t- like pretty tall, like taller than Baisley. Um, we just need to see more physicality. I, I think he's probably more of a wing like Poku is, just because of uh-huh. the lack of physicality that he has. But I, he's interest. He's very interesting. Because he's he's similar to Poku in that he's got a really high ceiling just because he has a lot of skill. Um, okay, we're going to go to our next voicemail. Here that is. I believe this is from Jesse Smith. Hey, Andrew. It's Jesse Smith. My question is, would you rather see Chet win Rookie of the Year or come in second for Defensive Player of the Year? Um, McKellie, thoughts? Wow. Um, I think, I mean, defensive player of the year. That's, that's a much harder um, accolade to have. Yeah. Here's, here's why I, I, go back here's why I would say con- rookie of the year. You're, I guess you're cutting out, Michaela. I'm sorry. I'm not meaning to interrupt you. I, I think you're cutting out some. Um, I so Depoy in year one to like come in second in Depoy would be quite impressive if he but if he wins rookie of the year here's what it means you are a a better you're a good score like maybe better than people think is is one thing and two you're I don't know if if this is a better team or not. I think if he's if he's second in, in defensive player of the year, this team is like probably knocking on the door of the play in. Because you don't rank high in defensive player of the year and also play for a bad team. Yeah. Like you can't do that. You can win rookie of the year on a bad team. It's happened a lot throughout NBA history. So if it's me and some people are mad at me that I want this team to have another high draft pick. Some people don't like that. Um, that's what I want them to do. I want them to get another high draft pick. And if he's rookie of the year, that means like, wow, he was awesome. And also this team has the potential to get another high draft pick. That's why I would choose that. If we're talking just for Chet's career and like the a good trajectory, rookie of the year is not always the best predictor of who's going to be the best. Um, but defensive player of the year is a pretty good predictor for who you're going to be. You know, there's not a lot of guys that have been like top two in Depoy and have like been a bad player. So, yeah, but let me let me try to sway you from your. I can uh, be swayed. Uh, I can be swayed. Try to sway me. Um, so if Chet goes number two in defensive player of the year next year, mm-hmm. like this team will not win. 30 games. Win, like this win team like will 45 win 45 games. Exactly. And if this team wins 45 games next season, yeah. it means that they have a KD like prospect in the roster. Period. Which yeah. is exactly what you're looking for. So if Chet is that good defensively, like Gobert good defensively in year one of his NBA tenure, 
you have an all NBA kind of guy in your roster, which is exactly why you tank for. Mm -hmm. And it's no point. I mean, it's always point to take to tank another year, but then it's, hey, I have a Maserati in my garage. Do I really need a Ferrari or can I just take that and go? Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's at some point you have to be, um, again, I'm talking 45 games, not 35 mm -hmm. or 32. Like mm -hmm. if Chet is that good, I think that um, being in the plane is, is a given and maybe it's more like yeah because like a defensive player of the year it's what gives you regular season cushion so yeah that's true that that is true yeah i gosh i still would rather have another high lottery pick i'm i'm a believer in in chet and his like long what he's going to be long term i'm mm -hmm. i just am um but yeah, I don't. I don't know. I'm. That's. I, I. I think I would still go rookie of the year. Rookie of the year would be a really satisfying award to win too. You know, picking up. Sure. Two. That would be great. Uh, all right. Next question is about the 2023 draft. Hey, Andrew and Mickey. Uh, this is Trey Brown. My question for you guys. Um, it's a little too early to predict or project, uh, honestly, but OKC is about to have uh, currently about $29.2 million in cap space in the 2023 offseason. Uh, it's been kind of documented both by, you know, you guys and basically the uh, NBA media that uh, that's, that's going to be a, a crucial summer for OKC in terms of uh, a, a move that they make, whether they consolidate a bunch of draft picks uh, for a trade or if they sign a big free agent, um, anything like that. Um, essentially, my question is, uh, looking at the current roster and who's sort of nebulous as a starter, it seems like there's a big hole uh, at power forward. They have a ton of cap space and they have a ton of draft capital. Is there a player that you see hypothetically around the league that could play that position uh, that would not disrupt this flow? Doesn't even have to be an all-star player, uh, but just someone that you could see them potentially either trading for or uh, you know acquiring as a free agent if there's a free agent in that class. Um, but just something that they could utilize that cap space with. Uh, but yeah, thanks guys. I appreciate it. I uh, love all the Monday pods. So keep doing what you're doing. Thanks so much for the call. I want to be clear. I have been talking about summer 2023 for a long time. I don't think it's necessarily true that they are going to be acquiring a big time player in the summer of 2023. One thing that we have to take into consideration is if they do have another high pick in the lottery, that $29 million will shrink to yeah. potentially $20 million. $20 million is not a whole lot with regards to spending. Um, just thinking about Lou Dort's contract. In order to acquire a player the caliber of Lou Dort, he, you would have to spend... 20 plus million. Like if someone was trying to get Lou Dort away from the Thunder, they would have had to have spent 20 plus million to get him away from the Thunder. And Lou's a good player 
And if you got a, another player just, you know, with all you had to do was use cap space to get him, that'd be great. We also have to take into consideration if they do draft a player in the top six or seven in next year's draft, and like they're going to have to pay Shea and Dort and Chet and Giddy and this draft pick. That's like a lot of guys to have to pay. What I'm saying about 23 is that they may be more willing to push all in with regards to rotations in the next year. They may be more willing to maybe acquire like a fringe role player to help them via trade. If they can get somebody via free agency, great. Uh, I wouldn't count on it just because of the way free agency has always gone for the Thunder. I just think that's the summer when there's the potentially like the tanking stuff could just stop. And also these players, I think Shea obviously is ready to win. I think Lou is ready to win. I think Chet would be more ready. You have Gideon year three. I think that you're just more ready anyways. Uh, you have the flexibility there, which is great. Do I think they're going to use it to go get somebody? Not necessarily. Because at the end of the day, you do have to pay your own players. Yeah. And this could be potentially like a pretty expensive team. Yeah, which is something you have to be mindful when you accumulate young talent because um, if uh, all the talents are at the level of uh, a Shea or a Giddy or a Chet, then you you start to, to lose uh, spending power uh, pretty quickly. And putting another player that is a max player and whatnot you can do it if you basically are shuffling some of the contracts in favor of a guy like that Mm -hmm. like suppose that year one of lose extension is not going in the direction you are thinking maybe once more playing time you have to you have other uh intention maybe because jw is very good maybe because jeng is surprisingly good Mm -hmm. um then i can see uh, you you can move probably Lou plus some other uh, assets to get a, a player that fills the the hole at number four. Yeah. So I would not try to get a four like Al Horford or um, I mean guys like that. I would like to for them to have a player that can play the wing uh, and can play the four as well, like uh, a versatile forward, not not someone that is strictly for. Uh, It doesn't make any sense. You need the the floor to be as spaced as possible. Um, So, I mean, uh, I always said it that to me, the player that OKC really needs alongside Shea is an off-ball shooter that can play defense, uh, that can move around. I mean, I, I think that we all remember how Paul George unlocked Russell Westbrook passing completely, mm-hmm. uh, a player like that would be my choice. Of yeah. course, um, it's not the same as an, an Anthony Davis kind of player, but it's close to that because you don't have many uh, guys like Paul George mm-hmm. in the league. But I would really try to target a guy like that. Um, with, um, I mean, if you want to go out and uh, and grab a player that can. Uh, maximize what you have but again I, I i'm with you i'm not sure that 2023 is the year um maybe it's the year where, where you may sign one or two veterans just to see how it goes like yeah. um 
Well, so I have to remember, like, necessary. there is a roster crunch that's happening, and you will add one yeah. more big piece. And that's where maybe where you do a consolidation trade. I just don't think you're. I just don't think you're quite ready yet because I think like if next next summer, it's too early to give up on some of these guys. You know, yeah. I think there's a good chance that Darius Baisley is gone. There's a good chance that, like Tao Maladone and those guys are gone. But with regards to like guys that really matter, we have to think about like when did they trade? They traded Jeff Green to get Kendrick Perkins because they needed a big guy. That was a fit issue they had with the Western Conference. You know, they could not compete physically with the Western Conference when you had the Grizzlies at the height of their powers. You still had to contend with the Spurs and with the Lakers and all these big teams. And, you know, some people are like, well, they should have never traded Jeff Green because they could have been the Warriors before the Warriors. Jeff Green was not Draymond Green. Like, don't, like, no. get twisted. They needed was not ready to, to play the four. Back then, they needed somebody to to shift the physicality of the team, and that's what Perk did. And they maybe could do a deal like that. I don't know mm -hmm. for who that is. I don't know. They don't even know what they need yet. Honestly, they don't know what these guys are. They don't know. I think you have a good idea what Shea is. I think you have a good idea what Lou Dort is, and then like what Kenrich and Muscala are. Everybody else. I don't think you have a great idea of what they're going to be as an NBA player. Even Josh Giddy, I think you have a pretty good idea of what Josh is going to be. But do you want to limit that? Do you want to like go ahead and put that idea in a box of what Josh Giddy could be as a pro? Like I don't. I don't think they do either. And yeah. so I don't think there's like this, okay, so next summer we're going to go and try to acquire this guy and this guy, and we're going to try to push it forward. Like, I think you just sit back and say, like, what – I mean, what if everything goes really well? Like, what if J-Dub is really good? What if Jang is like, oh, man, like, look what Jang can do. Look what he's, you know, after, you know, December, look what Jang has done. He's taken a leap. He's figured it out. Like, you don't want to bring on somebody that has a high usage to limit those guys. Or, no, or maybe, maybe Jang is not good. And maybe, like, Poku's not good. And you're like, oh, my gosh, we have no good forwards. Like, let's go get yeah. a good forward. You know, like those, are, you just don't know yet. And again, this team has 15 players. Um, yeah. 15 players that will need minutes. Yeah. So I, I'm with you. Um, you don't need to bring uh, someone necessarily. You may see, though, that in some of the roles, you may you may want to have a little bit more of a veteran push. Like mm -hmm. Ken, which is very useful. Um, Mike is very useful. Maybe you can get another player at a different role, maybe a point guard. You say, mm -hmm. why, why do you want to trade for a point guard? But maybe, like, I don't know, you have two years of old Kyle Lowry. I'm making up because Lowry makes too much uh, money for that. But hey, let's bring in the super duper tough guy who can play the point but also stay off ball. And that shows, like, the young guys how, how it, it, it is done. Yeah. Like, um, from the outside, it's, it's difficult to say what is the best use of resources uh, for 2023. But again, this, this team, as you mentioned, will be probably pretty expensive if Chad and Giddy pops. If another one of the guy pops, it will be incredibly difficult to keep this core together. This is already reality. That's why, I mean, at some point you have to think about, hey, what is the core of guys that 
we need to move forward with. And and the answer may be, hey, maybe it's not the core that we are having right now. Maybe there is one of the good players that is not going to stay. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. We yeah, that's exactly right. There's just so many unknowns at this point. Uh okay, here is our next question. Hey fellas. Uh this is Caleb. Um my question is about summer league. And I sit here right now just filled with regret because I, I, about a year ago, had been thinking about going to Summer League this year. And in my mind, I was like, oh, like, Giddy will play, Trey Mann will be there, maybe we'll get a high pick. And then, of course, we get Chet, and I'm sitting in my living room watching the stream just like freaking out about these giddy passes and about Chet and J-Dub and all these guys. And I'm just worried that I missed the boat, that this is the best summer league will ever be, and that I didn't go when I should have gone. So I guess my question is, like, I know Andrew says we everyone who likes NBA should go to summer league. Like, how do I figure out which summer league to go to? Like, how long should I wait? Do you think next year that shuttle play? Um, maybe if we get another high pick, obviously that's a reason to go. Will the L-man be there? Um, <laughs> I'm just trying to, trying to rectify my mistake. Um, thanks. Bye. Can, can I take this? Yes, please. You don't, uh, th- this will sound extremely spoiled and uh, but you don't go to summer league for the games yeah um yes it's nice um i remember watching the underburden dunking the ball it was pretty funny um but you don't go there for that you go there for the environment you go there because you can run into andrew schlecht because you can run into semimic you can run into zach lowe um most of the guys will be amenable to to talk with you. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have a podcast or, or if you write and you are so fortunate to have a media credential, that goes to another level. Uh, but still, I mean, everyone is going to Summer League. Every European scout, every European coach, every U- European agent, everyone is there. So it's the environment that is special. Like you can just breathe basketball for a week and yeah i mean of course this year um it was a very good summer league because there was like a pretty good trio at the at the top and kike murray was awesome so um it was a good summer league um but 2023 is um the greatest draft so yeah. like just go next year and yeah. you'll be fine i mean it's not okay see who cares uh you have plenty of time to watch okc during the year you again you go there not to watch the thunder but just to breathe basketball for a week that's 100 percent the answer you just go because when you just walk around the thomas and mac you're gonna find somebody you're like oh my gosh like it's just like twitter comes alive like in yeah. this arena like everybody that you follow on twitter is there and it's just a it's a weird it's a wild experience so go take a friend Go to Summer League. You need to do that. Uh, next call. Hey, Andrew. This is Dylan. Uh, Thunder Chest, Top of Thunder. Uh, I just wanted to ask you, man. Um, you know, there's a lot of talk about 
how good of a player Shea is. I think you specifically have said in the past that you think he's the second best player on championship team. Uh, I just wanted to ask, uh, what do you think that it would take in order for him to take the next step to be the best player on a championship team? Um, I guess, like, you know, if you could change two or three things about him um, to make him that player. Uh, but, yeah, man, I appreciate you. I love the show and appreciate all you do for the entire community. It's a good question. I don't think that it's impossible for him to be the best player on a championship team. What he has to do is be an unstoppable score, you know, at his size. You know, like we've seen, I mean, there's just very few players that are the best player on a championship team. Like, I think that a lot of people don't understand, like, the number of those guys that are in the NBA is like maybe five. You know, there's not very many of those guys that could be the best player on a team that wins the whole thing. You know, like Kawhi Leonard, LeBron, Giannis. Steph. Steph. That's it. Oh, KD. Kevin Durant. Like, who else? Okay, so who else is that guy? I mean, I think that guys who haven't done it yet, like Luka, could, could probably be the best player on a championship team. But they're, they just aren't there. And sometimes you don't know that they are until they become that, you know? That's the point. Like, uh, I remember hearing, like, this player is, can be the number one option on, an, on a championship team. Yeah. I mean, that sentence to me is, it's so tough to project because, I mean, it's really difficult to understand what it means. Like, can Damian Lillard be the best option on a, on a championship team? Maybe. Yeah. But but it's, it's kind of a weird. It's kind of become like something that we talk about all the time. But I don't think that like we understand like how weird of a question it really is. Like let's let's get to the playoffs first. Let's win a playoff series. Like let's get to the Western Conference Finals before we discuss like who is the number one or number two or whatever on a championship team, you know, I think that we spend a lot of time debating that stuff when like, just like prematurely and the Thunder could put together a championship level team and Shea could be the best player on that team and then be in the finals in four years. Like that could happen. Sure. Like I wouldn't say that's impossible that that happens, You know, I think that, I mean, even, okay, so I think like the best case scenario for SGA is a a player similar to what James Harden was in his prime. Yeah. Like this one-on-one score that can really shoot it from three, that can get to the rim, that is going to get to the free throw line. And that can defend a little bit better than than James. You got to be able to. (laughs) Yeah. But James Harden, although an MVP, was like never the best player on a team that ever went to the finals. Like, it never happened. And yeah. you could probably say that, he, oh, yeah, he's the best player on the championship team. Yeah, he never even got to the finals. <laughs> so, like, what does it matter at that point if your team doesn't even get there? I'm like, well, they had the Warriors. Who cares? I don't care. Kawhi Leonard and the Raptors beat that Warriors team. Was it because of injuries? Yeah, but it still happened. Like, it still happened. And you have to get there. You have to present. You have to have the opportunities in front of you. And... You know, Kawhi has done it many times. I think that Shea 
has it in him to do it. He's got the game where he can be the focal point of an of an offense. He's got to take it to the next level. He's got to defend better than he has the last two seasons. And they got to go. They have to improve this season, and then they have to go when they're ready to win. Go win. Go win a playoff series. Yeah. Go win two playoff series. Like that's that's when we can really answer that question. Right now, it is nebulous. And I could say like, oh yeah, he's definitely the second best player on the title contender. Like, is he? I don't know. I don't know that he's that. Yeah, it's, it depends it's on who the best too, player is. You know, I don't know. Yeah, I think that the set bar now published his tier, and Shea was in tier three, uh, mm-hmm. which I think it's uh, where safely you can safely put him. Mm-hmm. Um, he had an amazing run. Um, last season over the past 25 games he averaged I think 26 um, six and six something like that which mm-hmm. is over a season it's probably all-star worthy um, maybe borderline all NBA worthy mm-hmm. um, I think that the good way to frame is there are like top five players in the league and those top five players in the league are the guys that you won Mm-hmm. As you're, you 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 want as your number one guy, mm-hmm. Shea is not there. Yeah. yeah. In order to get there, I think that as you mentioned, he has to he has to win. Like I remember the 2014 season. It was probably one of the first seasons that I watched almost every game uh, for the Thunder, and KD was inevitable. Like you could feel that he had the team in his hands, and he had yeah. the opponents. In his hands, mm-hmm. and he was just getting there, mm-hmm. getting there, night in, night out. Like the team was afraid when KD had the ball in their hands. In his hands, this is what hap- needs to happen for Shea to be a top ten guy. Like you need to be inevitable when you have the ball. It's either double, triple team, or it's a basket. Which was, to be fair, most of the time last season, it was double team all over the place. Um, Something that we saw in summer league, and then I'll quit because I make my points always way too long. Um, it's the fact that Chet was already doubled. Yeah. I'm very curious to see what happens now when you have the ball screen between Chet and Shea. Yeah, because that can unlock so much. You were saying it last last year all the time. Like, wait on wait on your judgment for Shea and Giddy when they have space. We will judge them. Mm-hmm. And I think that this season will be a lot about that. Yeah. If Shea lets Giddy unlock him, Giddy and Chet unlock him, he can be devastating. Yeah. Yeah. People already care about Chet. And some of it is like the reputation that he carries and the fact that they don't want to be embarrassed by this guy and whatever. But he will he will create space for them. Yeah. And, and he's such a cool player to play with for both these guys because he can create space as a guy who is a vertical spacer to the rim, and he's a guy that can space out to three, too. Like, he's such yeah. a such a unique... I cannot overemphasize, like, what a boon it was for the Thunder to get this guy. And I don't know that we could talk about it enough this offseason, like, what a big deal it is to get a guy like Chet on your team. Yeah. Because he could help... Seriously, he could help glue all this together. And it will take time. It, it's not like the most natural fit ever to fit those three together, Shea, Gideon, Chet. But if it comes together in time 
and you add another high-caliber player to that group, ideally you add a, a wing or a forward or somebody like that to this group. You're, a Keegan Murray type of player. A Keegan Murray type of player, yes. A Keeks would be awesome. Keegan would be great. That that kind of player is something that they need. I'd rather him be a little bit better defender, maybe a little bit better passer too, but like that's just me yeah, too being greedy. Too, you know? uh, that's greedy, Andrew. Yeah, I'm pretty right. greedy. Um, all right, yeah. next caller. This is a point guard-related question. What's going on down the dunkers? This is at Jeremy K. Morton on Twitter. So I recently made the discovery that Giddy claims to be the OKC point guard on his Twitter bio. And at the same time, SJ also claims to be the point guard on his TikTok bio. So obviously they both have the game to play point and often take turns leading the offense. But here's my question. Could this be a sign of future friction between the two, or is our backward approach really just to you know, have two point guards? Wow. If uh if I brought friction, this question friction. up, I would be the one creating the friction, I think. Um I think that it's okay to have two point guards on your team in 2023 and 2020 or I guess it's 2022, but 2023, 2024, 2025, whenever it is. It's okay to have more than one point guard on your team. This the way they're building this team is to have everybody can shoot pass and dribble. They want yep. everybody to be able to make decisions. If you have one guy on your team that's the key decision maker, I think you've got real issues. Um, now, you have to figure out how to play with rhythm together. I think absolutely you do. And it's clunky at best today. It was clunky with those guys in the middle of the season. And that's okay. This is a very young team. They're supposed to be clunky. You add a ball-handling weirdo center like Chet, it's not going to heal all of the offensive woes immediately. What it is is going to make it a little bit more clunky to start. And it could take a season. It could take two seasons. It could take 25 games. I don't know how long it's going to take for them to figure out how to play together. But the vision is that everybody can shoot pass and dribble. Like Manu Ginobili could have been a primary ball handler for almost any team in the NBA when he was with the Spurs. However, he shared those duties with Tony Parker. And what it did is that they created a championship caliber team around Tim Duncan. That's what it did. The Thunder want to have similar vibes where it's Boy, not was special. Yeah. That's another podcast for another day is like how special Manu was. Um, but like they want to create similar vibes where it's like, listen, like we don't we want the defense to be on their heels the whole time that they're playing us because they don't know how to defend a Shea, Giddy, J Dub, Chet, Usman or whoever fill in the blank team because all those guys pass, all those guys handle. Like what are we supposed to do? And that's what you want. And like that's how it's going to be. And you can call them all point guards for crying out loud. I don't care if you call Chet a point guard. You know, mm-hmm. the position stuff, <clears throat> it truly doesn't matter. And whenever we make it matter is when things get weird. Because I don't think Shay and Giddy are like, man, if I'm not the point guard, then this is just not going to work. Like, I haven't seen that to this date. Now, maybe that changes, but. I wouldn't sweat those kind of semantics 
at this point in the rebuild because neither of them have like are like so irreplaceable at this point, you know, like they're both really good players and like great foundational pieces. And like, you don't want to give up on them. You want them on your team. Absolutely. But like, these aren't like surefire future hall of famers on your team. No. So exactly. Like at this point, like it just doesn't really matter. Like if they both want to say they're the point guard, who, who cares? Like, it just doesn't really matter today. Will it, could it, if this is still happening in three years and it's like, well, I'm the point guard. No, I'm the point guard. Then like, okay, we've got some issues. But today it just doesn't matter. Yeah, I think that um, something matter though. And I hate to go back to my, <laughs> the thing that I always say, um, but there is a point in saying someone has to give up ball control in order for this to work. Yeah. And usually when the best player does it, everything works. Like, yeah. um, you can see on the great teams, there are great teams with LeBron, and LeBron is doing most of the things. Uh, and that works because LeBron is LeBron. Um, He's the even, exception. He's like the number one exception in the history of the NBA. Yeah, but what I was about to say, like, the best version of the LeBron-led teams were the one where he could do a little bit less yeah, to unlock D-Wade, D-Wade yeah, to unlock yeah. Bosch, mm-hmm. to unlock uh, Kyrie. Mm-hmm. Um, so I the the reason why the Warriors are so great, it's not just because of the talent, which is immense, yeah. but the fact that they found a way to be extremely unselfish yeah. with their way in which they approach basketball. Mm-hmm. Um, you can say that both Clay and, and Steph say, hey, we are guards. Can you play with two guards? Uh, shooting guards? They are right. both shooting guards. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they made made it work mm-hmm. together. They allowed Jordan Poole to blossom. They allowed Wiggins to blossom. Mm-hmm. And this is the point. This is the entire point. I don't care if they think they are both point guards. They can be. There are plenty of possessions to be had. Um, the point is, as you mentioned, can they play in rhythm? Can they play a music together where mm-hmm. maybe Giddy is the primary initiator in this possession and Shea floats, uh, relocates, it's open in the corner, just not to get the pass, but to allow Giddy to have one less defender when he drives. Mm-hmm. And maybe in the next possession, you have Shea on wall and Giddy function as the screener, yep. maybe the screener for Chet that pops and gets a yep. tree. Mm-hmm. So these are the things where I don't care if you if you are of course Giddy is a point guard and of course Shea is a point guard. They can both create and pick and roll at the very high level. They can be by the way, J Dub, who they drafted at twelve, is if a point you would have asked him before the draft what position do you play, he say I play point guard. Of course, of course there are and, and this is tough. I mean, if you take a guy like AJ Griffin and Jabari Spade, you, they could they could have done that. Mm-hmm. Like you take two play finishers. Uh, yes, I, that's I, a great reminder least, that they could have had both those guys on this team. Yeah, they could have. Um, uh, I'm already scared to death about AJ injuries, but anyway, yeah. um, I mean, if you have those two as play finishers, that they they would be play finisher. I mean, they yeah. would just spot and, up and, move and that idea fits better in our NBA heads. You know, yeah, like in our NBA brains, like the way that we've been wired is like, okay, like we've got these two creators and Shane Giddy, what do they need? They need more shooting. 
They could have drafted Jabari, and they could have drafted AJ. And in our minds, like, that works better. And it may end up being the better route. We don't know. However, they went with Chet and Usman and J-Dub. And it's like, you know what? It's going to happen when the ball hits all of their hands. They're going to know how to play the game of basketball. And they're going to yeah. know how to move the ball. And that's the vision. And you know what? It's also going to take time with those kind of players. Whereas, this is your hope. It's not my hope. It's just the fact of the matter. When you want to play this way, which is it's a bet on the coaching staff, it's a bet yeah. on the talent, and it's a bet that we are going to be so different than any team that you're going to play in the league that we are going to set the tone for what the next iteration of the NBA looks like. Like That's the goal. It's not yep. to, hey, we want to, oh my gosh, did you see what the Warriors did? Let's become the Warriors. Or did you see what the Celtics did? Let's become the Celtics. Or did you see what you know Milwaukee did? Let's become Milwaukee. No, it's like, you know what? We are going to have skill us. at every single position. And we're going to make you beat us. And we are. it is going to be so difficult for you to beat us because we are going to play in a way that no other team plays like. Because everybody, include, and this is why it was so important to get Chet, like that's the position where it's most difficult. Like how many centers, like outside of Jokic, when the ball hits their hands, it's shoot, pass, dribble. There's just not yeah, that many. Few. There's just not yep. hardly any. Yeah, and we, we always talk about offense first, but this yeah. team has the potential to be crazy special defensively, which yes. is... Maybe not Gideon Shea. <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah. Chet, Chet, for sure. But but I would love to see them being better at that defense as well because yeah. that that is where, like, it's not a stretch to think that OKC is top eight defensively mm-hmm. next year, mm-hmm. top ten, top eight, something like that. And it's hard to be bad when you are that good defensively. Well, you need to be the the least efficient offense um, mm-hmm. of all time, which. Can happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, question about screens that I'm going to let Michele solo on. Here we go. Hey, I was just wondering if Mikey could give us a rundown on how to evaluate screens and whether or not they are effective. Like, does the screener have to reroute the ball handler's defender for the screen to be effective? Um, how much responsibility does the ball handler have and whether or not the screen is effective. I would just like more tools on how to evaluate that. These are the things I found myself wondering about trying to watch and evaluate Chet and Giddy's um, chemistry during summer league. Uh, thanks. Bye. Well, that's a great question, and it's a great way to analyze basketball game. Just to uh, look at the little things. Um, I think that. Uh, we can go back to our old days, Andrew, uh, with Vantage yeah. Sports, and just <laughs> review the definition that they had back then, which is, I think, uh, very, very good. Um, a solid screen is a screen where either the defender is rerouted or where the screener make physical contact mm-hmm. with the defender. Mm-hmm. So this is a solid screen. Um, it's not good in general um, because you can have a great screen that is a slipped screen. So uh, slip screen is where um, just before making contact, 
the screen relocates, darts toward green or pops um, to anticipate the movement of a defender that is already committed uh, to play the screen. Now, um, I think that this is a good definition of whether you um, you want to put a lot of, um, I would say, emphasis on what the ballender does. This is also important. Um, there is no metric that I can think about that um, dissect how to like how a ball handler uses screen, but mm -hmm. there is a timing and there is a rhythm between the two players. Uh, yes. So in summer league, Chet and Giddy were not so good in terms of screening. Uh, Chet was probably a little bit early and you could see that because he was adjusting the position a little bit more at the back end of the screen. This is usually telling you, hey, I'm getting him a little bit earlier and the ball handler is doing maybe something a little bit later and so he has to adjust mm -hmm. and this is also when uh, most of the offensive foul calls are made when you have to adjust the screen at the back end uh, of the action you are not allowed to do that you're not allowed to move your body too much you can hold the pivot and move slightly but not when the defender is uh, is coming so um i don't think that there is a metric for screen usage um i think that you would have to calculate time and seconds um, when the, from when the screen is set and when the defender passes, but uh, the, the ball ender passes. Uh, but I don't think that there is anything like that. You have to just tell from the top of your head if this is, was a good time or not. Uh, again, look at the movement of the screener at the back end of the action. If you still, then it's probably going to be a good screen and good timing between the two. Next question comes from Alex Bolger. What's up? This is Alex in OKC. I am curious of your non-Thunder hottest take of this 2022 offseason. So give me your Flaming Hot Cheetos Ultimate Ghost Pepper hot take as it stands on July 25th, 2022. Not Thunder. Deuces. I like what Minnesota did this summer. <laughs> I know they gave up a lot for Rudy. That's they, a lot. lot. They added a lot of talent to, to their team and added here's here's the thing. It's like sometimes there's value in just like just being a good team. And just being a fixture of the Western Conference, which I think they are way closer to today than they were at the beginning of the summer. I think adding Kyle Anderson really helps, just adding another decision maker in the in there, and then having a guy like Rudy Gobert just like raises your floor for what you can be as a team. So are they a championship contender? No. But is Minnesota going to be a team that you just run over for the next like three years? No. Um, no, they're going to be good. That's going to be a really good team. I think... They look a little bit more like Memphis did during like the Thunder era, where it's like, gosh, what an annoying team to play. Are they ever going to win a title? No, but like, is that a really good team? Yeah, and they also have a player in Anthony Edwards who has a higher ceiling than anybody on the Memphis team did. Um, yeah. So you always you have the potential to be a little bit more. Is the fit perfect? No, but 
gosh, they have been putrid for so long. They've been putrid for so long. Um, <laughs> Hoopsox says, Andrew, don't get caught in the middle. Schleich likes what the Wolves did. Here's the thing. It, every franchise has different goals. Every franchise has different aims. They obviously are aiming for, like, let's just be a playoff team. Can we just be competent for just, like, a minute? Because we've been, like, one of the most incompetent franchises for so long. I would applaud yeah, and, and a... not just, and yeah, not just competent. Like, they, can, they want to be second-round competent, at least. Yes, which is not this in is the middle. Paid. Like, yeah, that's, that's not what the middle is. If they can make the second round, that's, that's not the middle. You're in the top half. I, I, I think that you can get caught in like, let's, okay, wow, we made a run. Let's just let things develop. I don't know. I, I, I like that they added talent. I like that they did that. They didn't take away any core pieces of their team by doing it. And I, I think what they did, I actually like what they did. Now, if it were the Thunder, like the Thunder have different goals than every other franchise. They want to win a championship. And if you, this is where I talk about getting caught in the middle. There's a lot of things the Thunder could do today to get caught in the middle. I think like going for it today, you could catch yourself in the middle. The Wolves would love to be in the middle. It would be a blessing for their fan base to like be in the middle for a minute. You know, and I think that they're actually like above average. I think they're above the middle after this move that they made, which is why I like it. Like, not every franchise can compete to win the championship. It just, it just can't happen. The Thunder, because they're in the market that they're in, have to get there in a weird way, because you can't get there just by like Brooklyn. Although they're in like a big mess. Like, they just sat back and like, hey, let's just create, like, competent things around us. And then, like, the free agents will walk through the door. And they did. Now, they screwed it up royally. It's horrible. <laughs> but they still got Katie and Kyrie. Because they're in Brooklyn. Yeah. The Thunder could be the top-tier competent team in the league. And it won't matter because they're located in Oklahoma City. So, you have to do things differently. And... I think tanking one more year is doing it differently. I think it's doing it like what are they, like at if you're not asking yourself what are the thunder doing then maybe they're not doing something right because they're doing what everybody expects them to do. Yep. And you have to be different. If you want to win a championship here, you have to be weird. You have to be different. You have to do it differently than everybody else. Like Jason Miller here in the chat mentions the Hawks. Like the Hawks went out and did things. People even applauded after they did them when they acquired Gallinari and they got Bogdanovich and they did all these things. What they did is they pulled themselves to the middle too early. They actually and they had, had to pay a lot now. You know, they had to get some, another talent. Yes, and they had some success where they made the conference finals. That was cool. But then the next year, it's like, holy crap, we played so much above our heads. Like, what do we do now? You know what would have helped? Another top 10 pick. Would have helped you. Yeah. And you erase that by bringing in Gallinari, who was good for one year. And you erase that with Bogdanovich, who is a lot older than a lot of people remember. You erase, you erase that. 
Um, anyways, um, you have a hot take? KD will go to Boston and he will win a championship there. Wow. Oh, we'll That's terrible. Deal, we'll have to deal with Bill Simmons at the end of that, which will be a little bit yep. miserable. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but you can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Uh, okay, speaking of the Celtics, let's answer a Jalen Brown question. We're going to rapid fire. We have two more questions after this. We're going to rapid fire these. Let's Let's go on this one quick. Happy Monday, Down to Dunk crew. This is Justin, or OKC Obstinacy on Twitter. As you probably saw from the news from overnight, it seems like there's interest in a Jalen Brown situation going down in Boston. So I've got a little bit of a two-part question related to that and our Thunder team. Uh, As everything for the Thunder's future of contending is kind of centered around the summer of 2023, uh, I'm sure you guys have, just like most of us, been watching closely for guys like, oh, Brandon Ingram or R.J. Barrett that might be available for trade around that time. So my question is about guys that would fit well uh, with this Thunder team. Where do you think Brown ranks among guys like that? So Brandon Ingram, R.J. Barrett, maybe still Bradley Beal, but not quite as much, and others that have been uh, in trade talks or could be in trade talks uh, in the, the near future as far as fit and their timing with the Thunder. And then following up on that, what do you? What is the most that you would be willing to give up in a Jalen Brown trade for the Thunder to acquire him? Thanks so much, guys. Bye. I don't think Jalen Brown's ideal for this team. I don't think Jalen Brown quite fits the mold of what we were talking about earlier, where the ball hits their hands and like a great decision maker. Um, Jalen Brown is not the best ball handler. He's not the best decision maker. Um, would it be great to have a, a talent like him? Like, yeah, absolutely. It'd be awesome. You'd have to give up a whole heck of a lot to get him. They have not been willing to include him in a lot of different trade talks, whether that's Paul George or Kawhi Leonard. They have not been willing. And so, Yeah, before he was this good, right, right away. And now, if you want to get Jalen Brown, it's going to be SGA. Do you want to give up SGA for Jalen Brown? Maybe no. in two years you say, okay, Josh Giddy is good enough. We need a we need a, a more of a wing player. No. Um, no. no. I kind of agree. No, don't I, just don't, don't, I just don't I just don't go there. I don't see it. What they really need is a big forward, which is what Jalen Brown is not. They need yeah. a big forward that can be the the three of the four. That's what they need. Yeah. And I don't think they're going to be searching for that guy as early as next offseason. I still think next offseason, we are hopefully asking ourselves the question, can Usman Jang be that guy? 
Like that's the question that I think the Thunder are hoping that they're asking themselves rather than should we acquire Jalen Brown? Yeah, no, completely agree. Um, he may be at the top of that list. Um, probably Brandon Ingram is going to be better for OKC. If he's in trade talks, I would much rather go for a guy like that. Yeah. Um, I, don't ex- not, I don't expect him to be in trade talks as early as next offseason, though. This team is no. building. like They're building towards something big. No, 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 yeah. no. And again, uh, the asking price, those are the KD pieces. So, yeah. I mean, they, they would ask Shea and Picks, which is not going to happen. Yeah. Uh, next question is about the 2023 draft. Hey, Andrew, Mikey. Um, just calling to ask a quick question. With the 2023 draft, if you guys are thinking we're going to be six, seven, eight, and we're not thinking there's no Victor, Wimiana, Scoot, Henderson that we're going to be getting – are you guys thinking we're going to go for fit or still best player available at that point? And if we're thinking fit, are we thinking the four position? Are we thinking the three? Like what, what are you guys is thinking on uh, what position or what fit we're looking for? Thanks guys. Yeah. I think that, that, that this year is going to be extremely important for that. I mean, there is no correct answer. Now it's probably the four, but again, it may be that you see that any lineup with Ludort at the three and uh, Gidi at the four plus a guard is what you like. And, and maybe Tremaine doesn't shoot it well enough. Uh, you don't have an, another guard. JWJW is not as good. And so maybe you get a guard. Um, so I think that the glaring issue, glaring hole right now at the roster is maybe at the four position, but it's it's really too early, and I would always go best talent available, uh, unless it's such a seamless. I mean, I mean, the way in which you should draft is the following: if you have a tier, then pick inside the tier the best fit for your team. If you have two different tiers, always pick the higher. Mm-hmm. I think that you have to do what they did in the twenty. 20- 21 draft which is draft the best player available that can make decisions with the basketball which is why they drafted josh giddy i don't know who those guys are we can make guesses about who they would be it will change in six months who those guys are at the top of the draft but Ooh, by the way i found the answer to one of the earlier question mm-hmm Suppose that in two years the Magic are terrible and yeah. Franz Wagner wants off yep. of that team. Yep. That is a guy I would pay big, 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 big money for. Yeah, he is a. I would offer for that for that guy, like sign and trade, whatnot. Just give me that guy. Mm-hmm. He is the prototypical four you need: a guy who has size, shooting, passing abilities. Yeah, sorry, he, he I interrupted great. you, but and that, makes that great was, decisions. Yeah, that's yeah. the kind of player you're looking for. You can get that kind of player in this next draft. She was chosen at eight. And like, I don't think Franz Wagner is going to be a superstar, but if Franz Wagner is like your fourth best player, like you're in a really good spot, like a really, really good spot. All right. Last question. Hi, this is Tyler Collin from Stillwater, lifelong Thunder fan and down to dunker. I got a question. Which of the following do you think has a better chance of happening next season? Chet Holmgren getting 10 blocks in a game or Josh Giddy getting 20 assists in a game? 
Great question. Thank you. Shout out to Stillwater, home of my alma mater, Oklahoma State. Um, I would say Chet Holmgren, 10 blocks, because I think that teams are going to look at this guy and say, I'm going to punk him. I'm going to make him look like an idiot here on the court. And here's the thing. They won't be able to do it because no one has been able to do it consistently throughout a game. Even look at Paolo Bencaro in those Duke versus Gonzaga games. Like, did he get him once? Yep. But no one ever cared to post the other plays of Paolo trying to attack Chet after that first play. Mm -mm. Because it didn't go so well for Paolo. No. And I think that there's going to be a team out there, and like the Houston Rockets are like the team that I think about (laughs) because it's full of one-on-one players. It's going to be this tank battle. It's going to be a weird game. And it's full of guys that like Jalen Green, Tari Eason, like full of guys that would just love to punk Chet. And I think Chet could get 10 blocks in a game pretty easily if he plays 35 minutes in a game, which will happen. Um, 20 assists, is a lo- that's a lot of assists. Yeah. That is a lot. You know? And it's not on Giddy. Like, the point is, right. you have to make 20 shots. Russell Westbrook has done it, but he did it with Paul George on his team. Yeah. You know, I don't... I don't know. It's that's a tall, tall task at this point in their careers. Russell Westbrook did not do that in his second year of his career. No, nor he made as many triple doubles as as Josh. Uh, but hey, true. Um, I I bet um, that Chet will have ten blocks against Charlotte. Yeah, I will just I just feel it. I just feel that a team like that has. I mean, center, traditional centers, and guys that Chad can have the best of. Let's put it this way. Yeah. Mark, mark, mark this. Bet on this. Yeah. Charlotte, 10 blocks. It will happen. Here's the list of players that have gotten 20 assists in a game. John Stockton, Magic Johnson, Rajon Rondo, the Pistons, Isaiah Thomas, Russ, Steve Nash, Kevin Johnson, Darren Williams. Chris Paul. Chris Paul, Scott Skiles, Nick Van Exel. It's not easy to do it. Jokic? Not Jokic, yet, right? Jokic hasn't done it. Yeah, Luca's done it once. John Wall's oh. done, it, done it once. Um, Norm Nixon, Rod Strickland, Andre Miller did it twice. Brevin Knight did it twice, which is surprising. Jason Kidd did it twice. Jason Kidd only did it twice. Yeah, that's weird. If that tells you anything. Nate McMillan, John Lucas, uh, it's not a lot of players in the history of the NBA. John Stockton did it the most, 34 times. Magic Johnson did it 22 times. 34 is 34 insane. is wild. you got to have a Carl Malone-like player next to you to do that. Um, you need to have KD running alongside. Yeah. Westbrook did it eight times. Steve Nash did it eight times. Chris Paul has only done it four times. Chris Paul, the point God, has only done it four times. Yeah, you know, he doesn't show it one time. It's just too often. But still, it's just it. It takes a special player to get twenty assists. I think Luke or that. I think he will do it because honestly, I think Josh Giddy as is as special a passer as a as the guys on the list that I've given. Yeah, uh, I just don't think he's. I don't think this team is ready for it yet. I think that 
we can get to 20 bricks a lot faster than we can to 20 assists. So uh, we have gone way too long. This has been a long podcast. It's Monday. It's a, it's a long podcast. I've kept my Kelly way too long. Um, thank you guys so much for listening to our podcast. Hope you guys have a great rest of your Monday. We will talk to you guys again on Wednesday.